Boys and ghouls, welcome to episode 16 of Dads from the Crypt, Tales from the Crypt podcast. My name is Jason, and tonight I'm joined by Mondo. Hello. And our birthday boy, Jody. Hello. How was your birthday? It was good. Little low-key birthday. We just got back from that big trip to Austria, so uh, everything's low-key right now. We're still in recuperation mode, but uh, yeah, it was good. Got to hang out some, eat some food, you know, the good stuff. So, Jody, now that you've finally hit the ripe old age of 30, um, what advice <laughs> would you have for our listeners who are also hitting the age of 30? Quote, unquote, 30. <laughs> hitting the age of 30. I, I'm not sure I remember what it was like to hit the age of 30, honestly. Uh, no. I, hey, honestly, my advice here is that don't fear hitting one of these decade ages because you know what? It really doesn't matter. Yeah, I know some people are like, I need to do all these things before I turn 30 or before I turn 40 or whatever. You know what? Don't worry about it. You, the next day, you can do the thing that you didn't get done before you turned whatever age. It's fine. Do you guys find when you look back at that time that like, I kind of think about it sometimes. I think, man, I didn't know shit at 30. Yeah. yeah. No, 100%. And I don't mean that as a knock to anyone out there that's approaching that age or, or it is that age. It's just so crazy um, how crazy how much life still comes at you. Like you're, you're not, if you're 30 and thinking like, Oh, woe is me. I'm done. No, you're not. There's a lot of cool stuff. There's a lot of cool stuff to, to come. Hey, honestly, honestly, I think, you know, each decade since, you know, like everyone's like the teenagers are the best years of their lives. Nah, they're not. I had more fun in my twenties than I did in my teenage years. I had more fun in my thirties than I did in my twenties. It's actually, uh, you know, not bad getting older. Dude, in my teen years, I didn't even know what my favorite fetishes were. Like, how am I going to have a good time? (laughs) Actually, um, my 40th was one of the best and worst birthdays I ever had. My, uh, it was the worst because it was on January 6th of this year. Did something happen? So something happened that day. So it was kind of a craziest day. But my uh, wonderful wife, Kara, um, put on a really cool at-home COVID uh, 40th birthday. She got this uh, box set of Korean barbecue Ooh. and like, uh, like Korean barbecue grill. So we, we emulated a Korean barbecue. Um, and the kids made these decorations and these cool cards and all these cool presents. So it was probably one of the best and worst birthdays <laughs> you could ask best, for. Best locally, worst nationally, right? Yeah, best locally, worst nationally. <laughs> I still have about a year and I don't know, like five months before I hit 40. So uh, uh, I'll, I'll talk about it then with you old guys. Oh, <laughs> Um, moving on <laughs> this week, we're going to talk about the episode four sided triangle, which premiered on May 29th, 1990. Uh, Jody, why don't you give us your plot synopsis? All right. So we start with the country crypt keeper, uh, <laughs> introducing the story. And it's the story of a woman named Mary Lou or Mary Jo. I keep wanting to say Mary Lou. It just rolls off the tongue better than Mary Jo. Mary Jo. 
She lives and works on a farm owned by George and Louisa Yates, uh, who are not pleasant people. Louisa is a angry, bitter old lady, and George is a pervert creep who likes to stare at the young woman who works for him all the time. And so one day he's doing his creepy thing and staring at her while she's picking up the eggs and he tells her to go milk the cow and something about watching her milk the cow gets him all excited and he goes in and tries to assault her. Um, she fights back, throws the milk at him and he hits her over the head with a glass bottle, breaks the glass, knocks her unconscious. And then he decides to bury her under the hay because Louise is coming around and she sees that there's some kind of scuffle she had heard mary Jo scream and she goes in to see what's happening and there's nothing there there's she uh mary joe is taken off she ran off into the cornfield and in her kind of delirious state from being knocked in the head she sees this scarecrow with a creepy clown face kind of move towards her and so mary joe keeps talking about her man okay and she's talking about this scarecrow her man who wants to make love to her someday keeps going on about her man so George continues being a creep. Uh, he's always trying to harass her. Uh, she's in the kitchen. He, he does it again. And uh, Louisa comes in and acts suspicious, asks what they're talking about. And George starts trying to blow it all off. And she says, I didn't ask you. I asked her. And uh, Mary Jo says something about, well, I don't want him being friendly like that. I'm being friendly with my man. And so Louisa's very suspicious of what's going on between the two of them. Uh, George just says she's crazy, uh, touched in the head, as he says. And uh, then one night he wakes up and sees her out walking around, follows her to the cornfield where she talks to the scarecrow. He makes another pass at her. She shoots him down. And uh, Louisa sees him coming back to bed in the middle of the night. So the next day, Mary Jo once again tells George she has another date with her man. She's all dressed up. He has a date with her man at midnight. Uh, Louisa threatens to do, quote, the same thing you do to bulls when you want them to be steers to George if she ever catches him cheating. So uh, she, she threatens to, to cut his balls off. Um, so Louisa is a scary woman. I would take the threat seriously. Uh, George dreams about being with Mary Jo, wakes up, and then uh, later we see Mary Jo going out to the cornfield at midnight uh, where she meets with her scarecrow man again. And she gets kind of friendly with the scarecrow and starts touching all over him. And then the scarecrow comes alive. And uh, they start, you know, getting passionate together. And about that time, Louisa drives up. The scarecrow kind of backs off and goes back to its pole and quits moving again. Uh, and then Louisa comes in angry. She's holding a pitchfork in her hand. She says, where's George? Mary Jo says he's not there. It's just her and her man. And Louisa gets frustrated with this whole man, her man talk and says, you know, this it's not real. It's just a scarecrow. He's full of hay and starts stabbing the scarecrow over and over with the pitchfork. At this point, the scarecrow starts to bleed and then falls off the pole. And you realize that it's George because George is a super creep and he dressed up as the scarecrow uh, so that uh, Mary Jo would feel up all over him. And while Louisa's absorbing all this information, the fact that she just killed her husband, Mary Jo stabs Louisa through the back with that same pitchfork. Louisa drops dead. And then Mary Jo kind of has a little transformation. She quits acting as crazy as she has been acting through the whole episode. She gets the car keys to the only car on the farm and starts skipping back, singing that she is free at last. 
Thank you, Jody. Uh, let's start with Mondo. What did you think of this episode? I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. Um, to me, it's kind of in, in the middle. Um, I have a lot of questions about this. A, um, Louisa and George both suck. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, George is obviously the creepy guy forcing himself on top of a, a Mary Jo and a general, like, just kind of scumbag. Uh, I mean, but Louisa really doesn't even care about the, her husband being a scumbag. She just cares about being cheated on. She doesn't care about the safety or the health of Mary Jo or Mary Jo is doing. She's just mad because she thinks that George might be cheating on her. Um, so she's not a good person either. Like at, at first you're kind of hoping she takes on that motherly role, but real quick, like at the very beginning when she wakes up uh, Mary Jo very violently, <laughs> yeah. uh, you can guess that's not the role she's going to take on. Um, and, and then uh, again, I don't think it was a bad episode. Don't get me wrong. Um, and at the, end of the end, like, so we got to kind of think to ourselves, was the whole thing, um, was it as Shakespeare wrote, was it an antic disposition uh, by Mary Jo to, to kind of trick everybody to get off the farm and to take advantage of them all? Or did she really believe that the scarecrow was her lover? Or was she kind of playing George along knowing what was going to happen? Yeah. So I think one thing that we, that needs to be made really clear is that like Mary Jo is like basically their slave. I don't think she's getting yeah. paid. She's they they found I think I, there's some dialogue I kind of was a little unclear. It's not like they found her like at a truck stop or something. Yeah. So so my, my wife brought up in uh, uh, Kelly, who's been on the show before, just for the record. Um, she brought up was it did they ever refer to her as potentially being underage, which makes it even creepier. Yeah. Yeah. At somewhere, and I don't know where I read this. I'm reading synopses and things like that. One of them said something about like she had been arrested before and was like there on the farm is like a work thing and couldn't leave. I don't know where that came from. Cause I don't remember it from there. Yeah, that, that doesn't seem, but it, but she definitely couldn't leave the farm because yeah, they, so they talk on several occasions. Like the closest place is six miles away. There's no one else around. Cause when he, yeah. she starts talking about her man, they're like, mm -hmm. you don't have a man. There's, there's no man around here. You, you can't leave. You are isolated. So she's, she's very much like forced labor at this point. Yeah, she's she forced labor. Definitely. She doesn't have any freedoms. They're basically controlling every, they're trying, they're trying to control every aspect of her life. Well, so and, uh, Louisa makes a point sometime too, saying like, you know, if they do bad, you can beat them up, but don't kill them because we need them to work. <laughs> mm -hmm. like, yeah. her, her concern wasn't for the fact like, oh, you might have just killed this woman. Her concern was, well, fuck, where are we going to find another person to work for us for free? Right. Yeah, because okay. she says something about how, you know, she's going to work for us for free because you know, this, this girl's too crazy. Like no one's going to take her in. We've got her. She's ours now. Um, right. So, which kind of it brings me back to the ending where um, obviously she got hit in the head and she had like some delusion about the scarecrow come to life. And then I'm get my interpretation is that, you know, she thought, you know, what if this was the one person that could save me? So I'm going to make up this whole thing to try to bait George or maybe once, at some point, I think she is like setting up a situation where both of her captors can be murdered by mm -hmm. each other um, and kind of, and have her kind of good for her moment. Exactly. And, and one of the interesting pieces there is when um, when Louisa stabs a scarecrow, which she does not know is George yet. Um, Mary Jo doesn't really have an uh, well, she stabs Louisa. But other than that, she doesn't have an emotional reaction. Mm -hmm. uh, which mm -hmm. is if you think that was your lover, you'd have an emotional reaction to your lover just getting murdered in front of you. Um, albeit it was a scarecrow um, with a creepy ass clown face. Is, is that a thing with yeah. scarecrows? 
Not any scarecrow no. I've seen. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm I'll, very I'll, curious of the origins of that mask because it is creepy as hell. As us West Coast uh, sl- city slickers, I was kind of looking at Jody when I asked that question. <laughs> oh. I mean, I do live out in the country, but there aren't uh, just scarecrows all over the place. <laughs> just to clarify, <laughs> I'm disappointed. <laughs> well, never going there then. Um, but yeah, and then at the end too, she puts something by. Um, she puts something by either George or, Lu- or Louisa. I didn't quite catch what that was. No, she's picking up. At one point, they show they have a key around their neck. Oh, that, that she's taking the key okay. from the neck from their neck. I can't remember exactly whose it was. I mean, if you if you see this all as a setup, I, I think there are scenes that could lead you to believe that. You know, like right before uh, the, the day that uh, all the the killing happens is the day she shows up in the nice dress and everything. Mm. Specifically tells George, like, oh, by the way, I'm gonna see my boyfriend tonight. I mean, I feel like it's a pretty big stretch for her to be like, I bet he's gonna dress up like the, the scarecrow and his wife's gonna murder him. Like, that's well, a pretty big stretch, but well, it feels or like she, she's or up she, to something. And or she thinks that he'll just go fit. there and his wife yeah. will catch catch the two of them together and kill right. him. She definitely seems like she may be plotting something, you know. I mean, and if I don't she, know what though. And if she was, good for her because those people sucked. So they yeah. deserve anything they yeah. got. No, um, no, this is a typical Tales from the Kips, Crips screen, scheming where you're like, oh, they're scheming because they're a terrible person. Her schemes, if that's what she was doing, cool, good for it. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I remember I saw this episode when I was in like in middle school because uh, it's a very TV friendly episode. Like you could definitely put this on, um, you know, late night on Fox mm-hmm. on broadcast TV. So I've seen this a couple times, and I was really confused about a lot of things that was happening, like plot wise. So it's a lot, it's a lot clearer now. Um, watching it because I remember when I was a kid, I just figured that she still thought I, I realized that was a setup. I thought she was going to go off with her. She thought she was going off with her scarecrow boyfriend. Uh, I mean, well, Jay- I think they they leave it just ambiguous enough though that it may be that she was crazy the whole time. Like they don't. They don't make a, a real judgment one way or the other. I feel like she was plotting, but she may not have been. And, and Jason, if you 100% understood this episode of middle school, I'd have some questions. <laughs> yeah. I, so going back to that, though, I, I do feel like through her acting, and again, let's let's give, let's give uh, address the elephant in the room, that she's played by Patricia Arquette, who's mm-hmm. a wonderful actress. Um, and I think she gives a great performance here. And she even, I think just through her acting, she's able to kind of turn that switch from like, you just see it in her eyes and her face where she's like, okay, my plan worked. Let's yeah. go. Uh, she's that, a, sorry. Go, go ahead. ahead. Uh, well, she's amazing, but mm-hmm. um, I have one big complaint about her in this role. No, Dokken? <laughs> no, it's that she turned down Nightmare on Elm Street 4 because she wanted to be more of a drama actor or actress and didn't want to get kind of pigeonholed in the horror genre. And then yet, She's still kind of doing well, horror roles after this, and whatever. Like, I just really want to see her in Nightmare on Elm Street Four. That's it. Well, okay. <laughs> to be fair, it depends on who you ask. Because I've seen places where she turned down because she was pregnant, and that's again. Oh, really? I I have not heard that. But if she did, then good for her. Well, I read her IMDb <laughs> today, and that's one of the things I was mentioning. Again, it's IMDb, so take it with a grain of salt. Um, I mean, I I still have my like unmade Nightmare on Elm Street, where like all the final girls come back, including. Patricia Arquette and fight to fight Freddy. That's like my ultimate. Like if they ever re- made another Nightmare on Elm Street, that's what I want. I like that. Um, but yeah, she's Nightmare on Elm Street, Dream Warriors, True Romance, Ed Wood, Stigmata. So she's kind of dipped her foot around horror back and forth. 
throughout the years. And it's just, you know, on big shows like the, um, I forget what it's called. She was on the big uh, drama series for a little while. If you the guys, medium? Hmm? The medium, yeah. Oh, nice. If you guys buy me enough liquor um, at the next meetup we do, I will karaoke Dream Warriors. Excellent. Horribly, but it'll happen. That'll be on our Patreon. <laughs> on our Patreon, yes. <laughs> and we don't have. Um, just to run down the talent, this was directed and written by Tom Holland of Fright Night, Child's Play, and the Telstra episode, Lover Come Hack to Me. This is the second of three episodes he directed. There's another one coming up in a little bit. Um, George is played by, I'm not sure if I'm going to say this right, Shalice Ross. I love that guy. <laughs> yeah. Not in this episode, but yeah, he was in Hoosiers, Basic Instinct, Major League, and Drag Me to Hell. I- I've always known him from Major League because he's the guy, he's the pitcher that is all like Vaseline and lotion, whatever he can get in his body. Uh. <laughs> and he tells uh, Wild Thing Vaughn, when Wild Thing Vaughn goes, isn't that illegal? He goes, some of us don't have the arm that you have. And it's, it's kind of funny because I'm by no means a big baseball fan, but that became a very, very big topic in Major League Baseball this year of them banning people for using substances on the wall, on the balls. Yeah. And then Luis is played by Susan Ballarmet, who was in the 89 Pet Cemetery. She's in Edward Tizerhands, The Blacklist, and she did an episode of The X-Files. Um, but also the I didn't write the name down, but I thought the music in this was really good. Man, uh, yeah, me too. I love it. So I looked him up, and the only things that he has done, and of course I closed that tab on my browser, but he did the uh, Patty Hearst movie, mm-hmm. okay. and he did a movie in t- in two thousand and three. I'll look it up, but I think it was called like Everything I Hate About You, or or one of those. Once I find the title, you guys will know what it is. But that's all he's done as far as soundtracks go. And like you guys, I'm like, I thought he did awesome with the score in this. Yeah. Well, it's different from your typical Tales from the Crypt score, too, because, you know, they they don't all have uh, as as much like this felt very specific to this story. That's that's where I'm going with that. You know, it that the moment that that uh, steel guitar kind of breaks in, like mm-hmm. you're like, okay, we're in the country. Yeah, well, yeah, it definitely had like a little country, a little rock guitar kind of in the background. Yeah, it, it was really, really good. It was very noticeable. So it was done by Scott Johnson. Um, his only three soundtrack credits are Tales from the Crypt, Patty Hearst, and he did one song in How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days in 2003. Ah, okay. So you're looking at his IMDb or like a Wikipedia? His IMDb. Because IMDb will only list movie related. So maybe he was a producer or he had a band. Um, so I'm, I'm just saying the name Scott yeah. Johnson is pretty. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, it's, pretty, <laughs> it's a more common name than we think. Yeah, that is also true. Uh, what else did I want to say? Yeah, this episode, especially in the beginning, felt very leery on Patricia Arquette, which was a little yeah. bad, but it's also supposed to be through um, George's perspective. So it's like, okay. Yeah, it does kind of take a weird note where, you know, it starts with Mary Jo as kind of the main character, but then it almost shifts from into George's perspective for everything. And I guess that's just to set him up for what happens at the end. But it's kind of a weird idea to be like, we're looking through the eyes of this creepy pervert for half this episode. Well, if we're looking through his eyes, can we almost deem him then like the unreliable narrator role? Possibly. Yeah. Where maybe things aren't quite happening the way we see them happening. Just throwing that out yeah. there. Um, uh, Real fast. So one scene that I loved is she's making chili. And then she sits down at the dinner table with the the oven pot of chili yeah. and the wooden spoon and proceeds to start eating it by herself. 
<laughs> and I don't know why, but I love that so much. Because, A, when I was younger, I've definitely done that. I'm not going to lie. Like, you make mac and cheese in the stovetop, you're like, fuck dirty in a bowl. I'm just going <laughs> to eat this wooden spoon out of this pot. And later on, you have blisters in your mouth, and you figure that out later. Uh, but I also like it. It's kind of a fuck you to both of them. Like, fuck both of you. I'm making chili for me. Because you guys don't matter. <laughs> or you have to eat after me. <laughs> yeah. Nah, if if you sit down with a pot and a wooden spoon, your intention is to kill that entire pot of chili. <laughs> like, like, I'm, I, I, all I want to see is someone make a giant crock pot of chili now and then take the whole thing and sit down and eat in front of their family and mad dog them. Like, <laughs> what are you guys having for dinner? <laughs> yeah, so... But- one thing I was wondering about this episode, I don't, I don't know anything about farming, but it seemed like that was a really big farm for like three people. I and mean, some like, farms really are huge, even for a handful of people. Cause with the, uh, you know, my country perspective here uh, with tractors and stuff, you can get a lot done. Okay. Cause well, Louisa, um, they show that she's wearing a brace on her leg mm-hmm. or she's got something on with her leg. George is just working on his car and all Mary Joe does is milk the cow and like does eggs. So I'm like, they have this huge crop field of corn. So, yeah, I mean, with with machinery and stuff like that, you can actually handle quite a bit without a whole lot of help. Mm-hmm. And if they do like a lot of folks do, they would hire people to come in during harvest time. So okay. they would come in temporarily. But for the day-to-day life of the farm, um, you can get by with three people. Okay. This also felt like one of those California, like farm farms that used to be a real farm. And then the movie studios bought them out and like they use it for filming. It definitely yeah. had that feel. So if you're saying you can handle a whole farm with three people, <laughs> when, when are we knocking out this dad's from the crypt farm? <laughs> dad's from the farm. <laughs> dad's from the farm. Um, so uh, actually something else I just thought of. So at the very end, when she is, you know, uh, you know obviously George is the, um, uh, the scarecrow at this point. Um, Louise is driving up with that tractor. That tractor is mm-hmm. not quiet. And yeah, I was worried about that too. Like I live in a, I live in the city um, and I can tell my neighbor starts his car up. So there's no way she didn't hear that tractor coming and just like said, ah, fuck it. This is perfect. This is what I want to have happen. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, in my heart of hearts, I want to say um, that Mary Jo knew what she was doing and this is her plan to get the fuck away from those creepy ass people and off that goddamn farm. Yeah. Uh, and Jordy, that's that's definitely the view I have of it. Yeah. And again, good for her. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I don't know what she's gonna, where she's going to go, what she's going to do after that, because there's going to be these dead bodies laying around. But Well, still. like, in my heart of hearts, maybe she just buried them, and now she owns a farm. <laughs> they and lifted then, to me. And then she hires people and pays them a living wage to work on the farm, and everyone is happy. Her and her um, scarecrow boyfriend live happily ever after. (laughs) So, Tony, why don't you give us a uh, comic comparison? Okay, so this one is very, very similar to the comic. You know, last time uh, we talked about uh, one that they changed a ton. This one, like, lines come exactly out of the comic. Uh, The biggest differences are, instead of the names that we have, we have Annie and Abner and Hester, uh, which I guess if you're looking for some country old names, there's some country old names for you. Um, but the biggest difference, though, uh, Annie doesn't actually kill Hester at the end. And she seems to genuinely believe the scarecrow was real. 
And so everything else happens kind of along the same lines, but the whole thing about um, they, they keep calling her in the comics slow witted. And so the whole thing is Annie really doesn't know what reality is. There's something wrong with her. And she's just really believing this scarecrow is her boyfriend. And she's just as shocked at the end uh, as Hester when they stab and find out that it's actually uh, what's his name? Abner. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I think the, the modern version gives her some more agency. You know, she just kind of there to be a plot device in the original story. Uh, it's mainly about Abner being a creep. But in this version, yes, Abner's a creep. And well, and, and in the comic, Hester's not all that bad. She's actually trying you know, to look out for uh, Annie a little bit. And so it, it, there's just not as much, you know, kind of behind the scenes. It's very straightforward. Uh, yeah, Hester's trying to protect her. Abner's a creep. Abner tries this move. Abner gets killed. That's it. Yeah, I, I read it real quick. I just kind of skimmed it. And yeah, so it doesn't have her actually getting like hit in the head or anything. It just starts no. off with her being like that. They just kind of say she's like that. Yeah. And the, uh, and the, the, yeah, in the end, there's no moment of her running away. She's just kind of falling no. to the ground. There is a really cool shot um, in the comic where I think it's Abner's eye. where It's like looking right, very close up on his eyeball. Yeah. Ooh. And then the pupil, you see Annie slash Mary, Mary Jo. And um. I don't know. I don't have the name of the um, artist in front of me, but that's a really cool um, panel. Yeah, no, that's definitely a great panel. They, uh, it says sometimes their eyes would meet and he'd look into hers with urgency and see only simple minded indifference. And so it's got her just kind of looking back at him blankly, but he's, he's staring with intent because he's a creep. Mm-hmm. And then there's a cool, another cool panel at the very end after they stabbed her, stabbed Abner slash George, where he's just kind of like, you get the mask has fallen off, and there was the mask is like nothing. There's no um, detail in the mask, really. Yeah. But he's his mask has fallen off. He's just kind of slumped over, and there's a pitchfork hanging him. And that's that's a really cool. I can see that. I can see that being the shot, uh, the panel that'd be scaring a lot, a lot of kids back in the back in the day. Well, yeah, and you know, tales from the crypt in the comic, or sh- this one's actually from another shock suspense story. Shock suspense story number seventeen. Um, they love to end on those panels of something a little gruesome. And so the final panel for her to have that kind of moment where she walks off would not fit the comic book style. The comic book style is to end on the shocking picture of the dead body. That's what they love. Um, and, and real fast, just going back to the episode, man, they actually did a lot with three act, three, yeah. Um, yeah. just three actors. And I really love when um, you can stretch that much out of just such a small cast. Yeah. yeah well, them, you know, Princess Charlotte definitely steals the show, but I think each of them do very well in their role. Yeah, agree. When, and when I was reading the plot synopsis out, um, it's a very simple plot. You know, girl thinks Scarecrow is alive, man creeps on him, and then uh, man tries to get in the Scarecrow and gets murdered. Like, it's a super simple story, very straightforward, but something about, I think, the, the three performances is really what makes it an interesting episode. And when we're talking about three performances, what do we make of the title? Because as a kid, again, as a kid, I can never figure this thing out. The four-sided triangle. Well, well those- okay, that up. It was a reference to a sci-fi movie from uh, the fifties, forties, somewhere in there, where it was about a love triangle. But then they clone the girl who the two guys like, and so now there's four in the triangle. 
I don't know. It has nothing to do with this, but that's what that <laughs> reference comes from. No, I, I was thinking the same thing because the triangle was obviously Louisa, Mary Jo, and George. And then the fourth side was the mm. almost invisible side. Or the scarecrow. Well, no, yeah, that's what I mean. The, yeah, the scarecrow being the invisible side. The side right. you don't 100% know if that's real or not. It's kind of like, um, and Jason, you as a guy who's getting back into playing guitar, do you ever see in uh, musical notation or tablature when they put a note inside of parentheses? Yeah. That's a phantom like, note. It's a ghost note. It's a ghost note. And yeah. that's kind of the fourth side of the triangle, uh, whereas it's there, but is it really there? Yeah. I mean, for Tales of the Crypt, especially for how simple the Tales Crypt comic itself is, it's actually a really heady title. Yeah. Um, and again, me as a middle schooler, like that kind of blew my mind. I didn't really make that <laughs> connection until I rewatched it now. I, I remember as a kid, I'm like, what? I, I, I didn't really compute. <laughs> I wonder, um, I, I don't know how popular that movie was because I'd never heard of it. And so maybe people would have recognized it in the 50s. Is that know. the name? The, it was the name of the name of the movie was the four sided triangle. Oh, okay. So they directly stole that title, but I, I mean, a minor sci fi movie that happened, you know, sometime in the last decade. I don't know if that would have really resonated or not, but I don't know. It's the 50s. Like kids are watching whatever sci fi movies show up at the theater, too. So mm-hmm. maybe they know it. What cool. a time to be alive. <laughs> <laughs> Not really, actually. The fifties sound terrible. <laughs> aside from yeah. the, aside from five oh, okay. movies, the fifties. Okay, so the movie came out in nineteen fifty three, and I'm assuming this episode or this issue was like a year or two later. So people would have, I guess, been familiar with the title enough. Checking, checking. Um, uh, I don't have the year. Darn. Okay. Um, all right. Do we have any other? Nineteen fifty four. It came out the next year. Came out next year. Okay. Do you have any other thoughts on this episode? No, uh, I, I think I'm pretty good. All right, Jody, what do you rate this episode? Uh, despite how simple it was, and I think it's because of the performances, I, I, I like this episode quite a bit. It's it's kind of a sleazy feeling episode. It's kind of creepy. Uh, so I'd give this a four. Like it, It's an enjoyable episode. I know as I was reading, a lot of people rank this among one of their favorites. And so, yeah, I, I feel like there's a lot going for it. All right, Mondo. You know, as if you'd have asked me at the beginning of the episode, I would have gone with a three. But then we talked about it, and now I'm kind of leaning towards Jody. So my rating is a very specific number. Jody's <laughs> <laughs> like, what? what the fuck? Um, <laughs> of a group of men who terrorized the NWA. They were called the Horsemen, and there were four of them. So I give this... <laughs> I give this episode a four for the four horsemen. <laughs> All right. I, I was hoping you weren't going to go like 3.15 something. Um, Dude, if there was ever a wrestling stable called the 3.15 guys, like I'm just in like, I... <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, this is on paper. It's not, it's not the best episode ever. Like if you just looked at it uh, uh, on eye glance, but I think, like I said, the music and the acting really elevate it. And this is, I, I'm giving it a four and that's it. But that's the, that's the number I came up with before we even started talking. So again, we're all kind of matching. Um, but I think that's what we all honestly believe. So if you call us out for like hive mind, I think we're all coming <laughs> up with these on our own in the honest manner, but yeah, it, Plot wise, it's okay, it's fine, but I think 
or the artistry actually comes out and elevates this one. I feel like that the, the atmosphere lends a lot to it. You mm-hmm. know, the the kind of sun washed, you know, dirty farm feel and that music in the background. Like I, I like things set in that type of environment. That kind of you know backwoods country. You never know what's going to happen, but you know something nasty is going to happen there. It, it reminds Jody of opening his back door and just, just <laughs> stepping outside. <laughs> Out my d- dirt bowl. <laughs> um, I, I think you made a, I think you make a good point though. Like, um. Uh, the setting was fantastic and very well, and, and the, the scenery was very well done. But like the acting was so good that mm-hmm. I think they kind of let those guys run with the script and have a good time with it. And um, mm-hmm. I think if you had three poor actors in these roles, we probably wouldn't be talking as favorably. But because right. there are three great um, actors, such actresses, and they did such a great job, that really makes the episode. Mm-hmm. Right. Alrighty, let's move on to um, song of the day. Bondo, take us away. So, this past or, or yesterday, I went to a music festival in uh, Jason's backyard. I didn't even tell Jason I was there. Um, <laughs> not to be a dick, because it was a quick turnaround. Um, but uh, this record label called Night of the Pale Moon did a music festival called. Uh, the Gathering of the Eagle and the Condor, um, based around indigenous uh, black metal acts. <laughs> um, so the first thing I'll say is every all the artists there played their asses off and did a pretty fantastic job. But what also happened was, is the venue, and I'm going to call you guys out, the Catch One in L.A. had the worst fucking sound system I've probably ever heard in my life. Uh, <laughs> um, but it was still a really cool time, and it's really cool to see these indigenous, um, like, and just to be 100% like transparent, black metal is rooted in a lot of nationalism when it comes to Europeans, and is not always the most inclusive genre. And to see them, uh, a label come out and try to really highlight indigenous bands. Uh, there were bands from the United States, bands from Canada, bands from Hawaii, but all indigenous bands uh, playing uh, that festival. And I want to actually highlight a band that did not play that festival. And I'm very upset they didn't because they were kind of one of the first bands to ever really dig in to their uh, indigenous native roots and in, in the metal genre. And really kind of shine from that. And they're a band based out of Los Angeles uh, called Miklante Kutle. Uh, Miklante Kutle is kind of a, a word for the Aztec god of death. And, and the band is um, ba- basically a bunch of Mexicans uh, like me um, <laughs> who have Aztec backgrounds like me. And they play a really, really great form of black metal. Um, it's kind of a combination for any of you metalheads out there of, I would actually say, immortal meets iron maiden and uh unfortunately they haven't released a new record since 2008 which is kingdom of fire uh but they're working on new music now uh they're kind of doing their thing again and they're actually playing some live shows in la so i might be out there again jason to go see some live shows by these guys but the uh song i want to pick is off their first full-length record called pillars of silence which was self-released and the album is called return i'm sorry the song is going to be return of the black feathered serpent uh, one of my favorite songs of all time. These guys used to come play Vegas. And the first time I ever saw them, I, I, I saw them play the Cooler Lounge in front of 20 people. And all 20 of us were just losing our shit over this band that we had never heard of. 
And to me, that's like, that's a mark of a good band or even a good movie, right? Like when you go blindly into a good horror movie and at the end, all you want to do is tell your friends about it. That's a great fucking horror movie. And music's the same way. When you see a band that you've never heard of before and they just knock your socks off, that's a sign of a good band. So, um, I'll tag them when we uh, do this uh, post. But uh, yeah, McLanta Kutle off the album Pillars of Silence, Return of the Black Feathered Serpent. That sounds metal as fuck. It's metal as fuck, man. But like, <laughs> it's like I said, it's like, I don't know. Like, uh, I could do a whole fucking show on just metal. But dude, Mexicans come out for metal. And it's kind of cool, man. It's kind of cool to see them play in Vegas. And like 90% of the crowd were just fucking Mexicans that are like, we're supporting these guys if they suck or not. Right. <laughs> and then they just kill it. And then it's even better. Um, so yeah, McLenda Kutle, I will call out Night of the Pale Moon and say, I can't believe you didn't fucking book them on this show because of the first ones to do this and probably the best ever to do it. Hmm. All right. Thank you, Mondo. All right, Jody, give us some uh, trivia. All right. Uh, this trivia actually comes from Jason, who suggested it to me. Uh, this episode features Susan Blumert. I don't know if that's how you say her name or not. Uh, but she was in uh, episode X-Files, like you mentioned. The episode she was in was called Die Hand, Die Verlitz, which means the hand that wounds in German. Ooh. And in this episode, her hand is the hand that wounds her husband. And so a uh, little, little twist around there in the X-Files meets Tales from the Crypt world. And the reason why this, uh, beside that's a great reference, that this resonates really strong with me, this is, in my opinion, the scariest X-Files episode um, that I remember seeing as a kid. So in this episode, the X-Files, there's a town and there's some sort of satanic cult. And there's a like substitute teacher, I believe, that comes in and is kind of running this cult or she's part of the cult. And that's played the woman that is played by Susan Blumhart. And there's a scene where Mulder tracks some guy down into his basement and he like handcuffs him to the railing. And then this woman like uses Scully's, uh, Scully's voice to come tell Mulder, you gotta come here. I'm in trouble. But she's like emulating her voice. Cause she found like some token of Scully. And then she uses her voodoo, her not voodoo, her satanic witch power to possess a snake, and gets this huge snake to go down the stairs and eats the guy uh, handcuffed. And first of all, I'm ter- fucking terrified of snakes. It's got the shit out of me. So <laughs> just watching that, just a snake like slowly creeping on the guy who can't get away, is terrifying. But then there's a scene where this actress, Susan Blumhart, opens her eyes and she has snake eyes. And that just makes me like jump out of my skin. <laughs> this is dads from the crypt, not dads from the X Files. Um, but <laughs> not yet. Maybe after. Maybe after this. I mean, but to be fair, those early episodes of X Files, like those first few seasons before they got all like the meta narrative going, and it was mm-hmm. still like Monster of the Week. Those were so good, and I watched those with my dad. And so, see, it all ties back, dude. I, I try, uh, I try to get the season one on Netflix, and I really hate to say I couldn't do it. Like they didn't yeah. hold up for me. Um, Some of those season one, sure, episodes I'm sure. are really rough. 
the the way that I loved it in the mid nineties versus now, I, I don't know that I'd have the same reaction to it, but back then there wasn't anything like that on TV. And right, so man. it was cool. And it was something my dad loved. And okay. so we had fun watching it together. And that's probably kind of deep. Like, uh, I, I do think that like, uh, one of my favorite TV shows of all time is get smart. Mm-hmm. And I might've mentioned it before, but it's because I used to watch it every night with my grandfather. And you know what? I don't give a fuck what anybody says. That was magical, and I'm okay with that. No, Get Smart's amazing. Yeah. It still holds up. Well, um, I haven't watched it in a while. No, but, no it actually does hold up. It actually does surprisingly hold up. It really does. Um, so I was just looking up um, some uh, two historical things that happened this week. Can I bring up two historical things? Sure. For all you sports fans out there, uh, Ricky Henderson of the Oakland Athletics. I loved baseball as a kid. Uh, not so much now, um, but he broke Ty Cobb's stolen base record in baseball hmm. at 893 stolen bases. And because this actually is a world news thing, well, not really world news, but did you guys hear about the Zodiac Killer? Yeah, I saw there was an article about that this week. So it looks like they have actually figured out who the Zodiac was. And um, again, I don't know all the details, but one of the telling signs, this is really cool, is when they found out the guy's name, they're like, holy shit, when you plug his name into these old ciphers, it solves the ciphers. Oh, God. <laughs> so part of me is like, maybe that's true. Part of me goes, maybe this is Zodiac Killer just fucking with us again. But uh, someone else found out that he was actually trolling serial killer movies on like IMDb. <laughs> oh, really? And like on the Ted Bundy movie, he posted something like this guy was a bullshit serial killer and didn't know what he was doing or something to that effect, which makes it I'm laughing about it. But fuck, that's creepy. That is super creepy. Wait, so is the guy that they determined still alive? No, he's dead. No, he passed away uh, uh, some years ago. And it's still one of the things where the FBI is still saying, no, that's not right. But you have like all these old police detectives and smart people that are like, no, this is definitely we definitely figured it out. So is it one of the guys they suspected? It's not Ted Cruz. No, no. There's another guy <laughs> who they strongly suspected. I think he passed away. Although, like, to be honest with you, if the Zodiac Killer were alive, he didn't got outed. He'd probably try to uh, not associate with Ted Cruz at all because Ted Cruz might be worse than the Zodiac Killer at this point. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm I'm just kidding. Uh, but um, I don't know. To be honest with you, you'd have to look that up. Okay. Um, but the reason I brought that up is because May 31st was when the Zodiac Killer killed his third victim, uh, Joseph Ponce. Uh, what, which year? 1990, yeah, sorry. Not this oh, wow. year, obviously. That'd be weird if it was this year. No, 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 I mean, I didn't realize the Zodiac was going on in the 90s. Uh, nor did I, actually, until I just typed in, like, I was trying to see what else, anything, you know, notable mm. happened this week. I'm not sure about that. <laughs> it says uh, span of crimes from 1968 to 1969 on here, so... What the fuck am I looking at then? <laughs> yeah, I'm like really perplexed. I thought he was, yeah, he was, he was old time. Dude, I use, I use this website called on this day all the time. And it says May 31st, New York city Zodiac killer shoots third victim, Joseph Ponce. No, it couldn't have been the third killer or third victim. I've been way off. That's what it says. That's what the website says. I didn't make the website. Okay. <laughs> I'll yeah, post no, I, I call shenanigans on that. Well, okay. Hold on a second. So they also found out there was another victim that was linked to these killings. So maybe yes. this is it. Maybe it's Joseph Ponce. I don't know. 
fucking don't shoot the messenger. It's a website. Right. It's a website called on this day that I use quite often just to kind of figure out what happened on this day. Surprisingly. Okay. Well, this isn't dads of true crime either. So we might have more listeners if it was though. <laughs> Probably, <laughs> but fucking true crime. yeah, I'm not going down that, that uh, rabbit hole. I wa- All right, Mon- but hold on a second. I want to do like a very focused true crime podcast. Like what happened in, uh, Small to small town in Alabama on this day, and it's like somebody shoplifted at the local hardware store. And our whole true crime podcast is to figure out who's shoplifted at the hardware store in small town Alabama. <laughs> uh, here we go. Who drank dad's last beer? That's that's the real true crime that I want to do. <laughs> there you go. Who had my last edible? <laughs> Holy shit! It was me. Like. <laughs> <laughs> And the whole night planned around it. I got a thing of ice cream. I queued up a movie. And my edibles are gone. Oh, so we went to a comedy show this past week. Um, Steve Hofstetter. Uh, I might have talked about this last week. I don't know. It's been. No, you didn't. This whole fucking year has been a blur. Um, fantastic comedian, by the way. Steve Hofstetter is great. He is famous for his destruction of hecklers. <laughs> but his comedy is also phenomenal. Um but uh, I took an edible for, before I went, and I felt amazing. Uh, it was a great, uh, it was a great comedy show. <laughs> See, not to get into edible talk, but I can't be in public. I just, I, I'm just <laughs> not one of those gen- people. In general, or are there more terms to this? Like, <laughs> like, like can under you, that states, can you, can you not go to Ralph's? Like, is Ralph <laughs> under that state? No, I just don't. Want, I do not want to leave the house. No, no, I, I, dude, I, I get it, man. And like, um, and he won't listen to this. So my buddy came out this weekend to go see this metal show that we're going to. And like today we're at the car ride home. Everybody's talking and my brain just goes like, I need everyone to stop fucking talking for 10 minutes. And I, I, and, and again, like this is part of having a mental illness, right? Like I'm never going to outright tell anybody that I'm never going to project that as anger on them, but I get it, man. Cause that's like, I just knew that this is my own brain being fucked up saying i need this right now but like i get it because like i'm i'm that kind of person that's like i have x amount of social interaction i can have before i have to go back into my cave and not talk to anybody for x amount of time before i feel better all right let's I, move say, I don't i don't, I don't feel like the edible talk is fair for you two <laughs> in your parts of the country to be talking to somebody in tennessee all right i just i'm slow petition hey dude yeah. like <laughs> you, you you got turn, you got turned that state blue, dude. Until you do like, <laughs> yeah, it's not gonna happen. It's no. not. We're we're gonna be the fifty first state to legalize it. <laughs> <laughs> After um, Costa Rica becomes a fiftieth first, yeah, there's just as much likelihood. <laughs> Well, Costa Rica becomes a state and legalizes before you do. You yes. know, there's there's talk though about federal legal, uh, about federal legalization and uh. That's my only hope. <laughs> yeah, man. Hopefully sooner than later. And like, and I gotta say, I, I am not like a like I, I. What sucks? I grew up with a very negative connotation of weed because my parents did weed all the time, or smoked weed all the time, but then they acted like pieces of shit. So I grew up saying like, "Well, I don't want to fucking feel like that." Turns out they did coke and also meth and crack. So that was probably what made them terrible people, not the marijuana. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, you know what? Like, I don't do it all the time because, and not for any good reason, other than the fact that like 
you got to figure out how it affects your body, right? And I'm not there 100% yet. But uh, everyone, like, it's a fucking plant. Like, come on. It's not, chem- yeah. Yeah. All right, let's move on to some dad advice. Are we sure you want to do that? Are, are we- <laughs> All right. So uh, if you guys are not on the internet, then you won't know this. But most of you probably are because you're listening to our podcast. So they Explain uh, this to Schnars. <laughs> Jody's already stroking his hair back. Um, but uh, I, just, I just know where we're going. I know, <laughs> I know the road the road we're about to go on, and I just I'm, I'm being drug along. So, I don't know what we're gonna do with it. So transitioning from snakes and handcuffs, uh, uh, Jersey Mike's released a tweet, uh, and this has actually been this has actually been confirmed as 100 fake. It's a Photoshop meme, but we're gonna roll with this. Uh, their tweet was, "How do you?" Top your sub. And afterwards, their follow-up tweet was blocked, blocked, blocked. None of you are free from sin. (laughs) 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 This is when I close my office door. Uh, So so Jody, let's start with Jody. Who is who is struggling to keep it together? Uh, uh, I just I knew where we were going. I just knew. Well, <laughs> that's why I'm putting the ball. That's why I'm putting the uh, the uh, the uh, ball in your court um, to uh, <laughs> uh, the. <laughs> To, uh, <laughs> I, have, I have so many things I want to just throw in here. I'm just not going to do it. Uh, but, uh, but Jody. <laughs> you... I, don't even, I don't even know where to go at this point. <laughs> okay, can I make guys, a confession? Guys, can we be, can we be just serious? Uh, I didn't get it until Mondo said it out loud just now. Just now. I, I, I had that feeling just now. That that was a realization. Yes, Jody, you had a you had a feeling. Let's go with this. What feeling was that? And <laughs> Jody, how do you top your sub and go? Uh, mm. There's there there are nights the podcast just follows like a straight path. So <laughs> all I'm gonna tell you is there is a correct answer to this. I will give the correct answer at the very end. Is that is that your is that your dad advice? Is it the correct answer to this question, dude? I don't know if this should be dad advice. So we might need to change the name. <laughs> I, of the I don't even know where we're at anymore. Okay, let's just just to get things on track. Go to a juicy Mike. What do you order on your sandwich for toppings? <laughs> that is not the question, Joe. That's not the question, Jason. The question is how do you top your sub? <laughs> we need to be very fucking clear on this question because no and no. There's the word sandwich does not exist in our world right now. I just I just want to I just want to point out that before we started this episode, Mondo was asking for some you know, like dad advice, like you know what what we all thought, and Jason brought this up, not getting where this was going. No, I think he kind of knew. No, I seriously <laughs> didn't figure. Jason, do fucking Jason tries to act innocent over there, but Jason is not innocent. Uh, I'm not innocent. I'll definitely admit to that. But until I heard you say it out loud, I didn't grasp the double entendre. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. No, this really was supposed to be about sandwiches. <laughs> it just fell apart. 
<laughs> well, I have the I have the right answer, so I'm gonna go third. Usually I go second, but I'm gonna go third. Um, so Jody, how do you top your sub? <laughs> and also for you listeners out there, please send us responses. To <laughs> I don't even know how. I need someone to respond for me. I don't. I don't know at this point. Uh, I, I don't know where what we're do at. Mean, what do you mean you don't know? Like everyone knows how they top their sub. It's how you want to take it. That's your you take it where you want to take this. Uh, I think Jason needs to go first. <laughs> I feel like Jason. Right. I feel like Jason would also go second. That's a. <laughs> so does that make Mondo the sub in this situation? I give up. I don't even know anymore. I don't even know what's happening. <laughs> this episode just completely went off the rails. This is not getting fucking edited out because I'm I'm having the best time. Um, Jody. Again, ah. you're a Jersey Mike's. How do you top your sub? <laughs> Dude, hold on a second. Do you have a Jersey Mike's? Uh, there are Jersey Mike's in the vicinity, but, but not not locally. Not, okay. not like right here. So, so you know what it is. So just this should be an easy question. All right. So if we're going to actually talk about something here, <laughs> not just be completely off the rails. Uh, we're talking sandwiches here. We're talking about subs, right? Yes, maybe. I don't know. Meatball, meatball salami. Take your pick. I'm, 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 I'm a meatball sub fan. I like uh, like a little little cheese and black olives on a meatball sub. There, there's an answer. Does that, that work? No, that Wait. sounds that sounds fucking disgusting. Because yeah, black, black olives. olives? The what the fuck? Yeah. I'm a I'm a fan of black olives. <laughs> it's fine. I, I don't even know at this point. I'm just trying to move on to somebody else. <laughs> All right, uh, Jason, you're next, dude. There you go. You're on. All right. I have the um, correct answer, so I have to go last to tell you guys are both okay. wrong. No, I'm definitely, I'll take a bit of everything except for the black olive. So I'll take the cheese, uh, lettuce, tomato, onion, uh, pickles if they have it. I don't know off the top of my head. Um, I like Juicy Mag. It's a little on the spendy side. Actually, I like Quiznos a lot, but there aren't that many of mm-hmm. them. I don't like Jimmy John's because they don't like the, all their sandwiches are cold. I don't like cold sandwiches. Yeah. Uh, Subway's good in a pinch, especially I don't think they have it everywhere. But in California, they have pastrami subs. Mm. They're actually really yeah, good. That's good. Um, uh, Bellachinos, not where you all are. Mm-mm. Just a local thing or a southern thing. I don't know. Anyway, they make very good sandwiches. Very toasty on the outside. Um, Jason Big has fan. a place by him. Not by. Well, you're you're about two hours from Palm Springs, huh? Oh yeah. Right. Um, we said it before, but that fucking TKB place, holy shit! Like the best sandwich I've ever had in my life. Yeah. Uh, set mine up. I like cheese, usually provolone or Swiss. Um, pretty much all okay. toppings. Nothing spicy. No pepperoncinis. No black olives. I don't love peppers, but they're in there. It's not the worst thing in the world. Like green pe- bell peppers, those kind of things. Um. And I like a little, just a little bit of mayonnaise. It's a good sandwich lubricant. Yeah. And um, I'm a mustard <laughs> guy, back. so I like mustard. So, Mondo, tell us the right answer. Uh, the right answer is you should really ask my wife. Uh, <laughs> oh. oh. <laughs> but the right answer is with mutual consent. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> but you guys both know I'm not wrong. 
<laughs> As always, Mondo's right. <laughs> you should always top your sub with mutual consent. That's all I have. I'm, I'm not on gonna... your sandwich, Mondo. Oh, on my sandwich. Okay. Um, <laughs> just fucking give me roast beef and cheese. I'm a happy guy. <laughs> just no fucking olives because fuck olives. I like green olives. Do you, do you not, not like green olives? No, dude. I, I've tried, dude, I've tried like I'm pretty adventurous. So I tried <laughs> a, a bunch of different I've tried a bunch of I, different I don't olives. even know what we're talking about. I still don't. I'm <laughs> well, if you ever want me to safe word quickly, just introduce olives into the scene. I'm fucking out. Um <laughs> Is that the official dash from the Crypt Safe Word? <laughs> the, Crypt, the, the official dash from the Crypt Safe Word is green olives. <laughs> Actually, green's better than black. It'd be black olives. Uh, yeah, black olives. But uh, uh, nah, olives fucking suck, dude. Like I- I've tried a bunch of different kinds, thinking like maybe I'll find the olive I like. Nah, I just can't do it. But I will try them. Like if you- if you presented me an olive that I haven't tried before, I would try it because again, I'm adventurous, and uh, <laughs> we would try- we would try the olive. Like if I go to a bar and I'm just like killing some time waiting for someone to show up, I'll ask for like some olives. They'll just give you like a like a little cup of olives. I'll give him a tip, but I'm I'm, I'm pro all. I, I do, keep. Do you, a, give them, I, do you give them just a tip, or just a tip, <laughs> just to see how it feels? <laughs> just to test the waters out just a little bit. Again, folks, mutual mutual consent is very important, and I'm making light of this, but that is the most important thing. All when right, you're trying to top yourself. <laughs> Yeah, Jason, okay. Jason, wrap this up. I'm wrapping this up. Um, <laughs> get, get out of here. Just for some housekeeping, we've got some, we've got more great interviews. I hope people are liking them. If you like them, let us know. If you don't like them, tell us to shut up. Just send me a message. Um, but no, we've got some really cool interviews. We might be switching around a couple of things. I don't want to announce them quite yet, but I think they'll be right up our alley. Um, next week, this wraps up this week, but next week we'll be reviewing the ventriloquist's dummy. Uh, it was actually a really fun episode, if I, mem- if I remember correctly. So that'll be a good Richard time. Richard Donner directed. It's a good one. And, Richard and Donner, I'm... Bobcat Goldway, and yes. um, Don Rickles. Don Rickles, yeah. yeah. Great guest. If, if I can give a quick shout out to the Mystic Museum in Burbank, California. Yes. I visited this past week. If you're a horror fan, please go there, support them. They're doing the Evil Dead experience right now. And uh, yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, I've been there, I've been there many times. Really cool place. So if you're in the LA area, want to go somewhere spooky, they've got a nice Ouija board uh, collection. They have like a fake VHS store uh, in the back. Uh, the, the, um, the, the VHS store right now, Slashback Video, is no longer existing right now. Really? Um, that transition to the Evil Dead experience. The Evil uh, Dead experience okay. is in the back. Uh, if you're an Evil Dead fan, you really have to go. It was so much fun. All right. Cool. Anyways. Uh, we'd love it if you give us a rating review on iTunes. And with that, we thank you for listening to Dads from the Crypt. <laughs> Follow Dads from the Crypt on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or I will follow you to the grave. <laughs> no, seriously, you really should watch. But be careful what you ask for. You may get it.